So Philippians chapter 1 verse, we're going we're to start in verse 18, and then we're going to move to 20, and then we're going to hone in on verse 19, because we, we covered verse 18 as part of last week, and we're going to cover verse 20 as part of next week. But 19, I think, is so applicable for us today. So that's just to kind of give you an idea. Um, we're going to start in 18, do 19, 20, but we're really going to be looking at verse 19 today. All right, so Philippians 1, verse 18. And I'm in the, the ESV. Um, Paul says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. That's what he wrote. That's what we looked at last week. Then we pick up in the rest of 18. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So that is our, our passage for today. The last few words of verse 18, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. That's where we're really going to camp today. And this is why our prayer... Our prayer time that we know that we need, that we love to have, that we should be participating in. We're moving that to the end following this verse. All right. I know we've prayed a lot this morning. Praise the Lord. We're going to pray one more time and then we're going to we're going to dive into this. Lord, your word open before us. Words that that are God breathed, that you moved men to write. So, so, so very many years ago. And that yet you have sustained through the ages so that those whom you have saved and called, that you have, that you have lovingly redeemed and pulled into your family so that we can know what is the mind and the heart and the love of God. And so your word is right here before us. All scripture, God breathed and profitable so that we may be equipped to do every good work that you have put before us. Or what I ask is that you help us to grasp it. That you make it to be rooted in our hearts and that it bears much fruit. Because scripture is clear that the word can go out, that the seed can go out and through cares of the world, through the movement of Satan, through just whatever, like the, the hard soil of our heart, Lord, it cannot take root or it could be robbed away from us. Lord, but you also tell us in your very word, that sometimes that seed lands in the heart that has been cultivated by you and it takes root and it grows strong. Lord, I pray for everyone across life or that you turn the soil of our hearts because Lord, I don't want to look wonderful to this world and hateful to you. Lord, I would rather be despised and rejected in this world and for people to believe that I'm a fool Lord, but to know that I am accepted by you. Lord, help us to understand this word. I do not pray for eloquent speech. I don't pray that, that everything comes out just excellently. Lord, what I pray is that we see your word, your word makes sense, your word resonates within us, and then we do something with your word that shows that we are yours. That's my desire today, Lord. Lord God, we love you. But you first loved us. 
May that humble us so much. Amen. Okay, so, so verse 19, four words before it. Yes, and I will rejoice for I know, Paul says, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So let's just break that down. We've, uh, the first thing I want to look at is, is God's sovereignty. right? We, we've been looking at it over the, well, if you're a part of Cross Life, you're going to hear about God's sovereignty. Like it's just how it is. It's something that we always proclaim. It's where we find our rest. It's where we find our comfort. It gives us great peace. That's wonderful, but it's also very biblical and scriptural. We don't understand how God uses all the events in our lives and in the world to some about, somehow come about for his glory. But one day we're going to look back and we're going to see the magnificence of God's sovereignty in all things. We won't understand all the nuances of it then and how he worked it. We just know he will and we rest in that. That's my piece for this week. You men know that I sent out a, a text this week um, in, in the group and just said, it's a heavy day for me. I need you to pray. And then you were praying. I know you were praying um, because I felt it, right? When others are praying for you, you know it because you feel it. And, and, and I felt that this week. And, I, and you were checking in on me throughout the week. But all that to say, let, let's, just, let's just take a look at, even though we know that God is sovereign, there are things in this world that are going to happen that we do not understand, and yet we have hope. We keep pushing because of his sovereignty. It gives us peace. So that's why, Paul, if you will go back and, and look at the first uh, 17 to 18 uh, verses, and we've been preaching over them, you can hear that, that there's been a lot going on, but yet he has a hope. And he has a joy and he has a desire. And his desire is that even though he's in prison, Christ be known no matter what. And he has hope and joy. So whenever he says, I will rejoice, he literally means he's rejoicing. Like he's excited. He's been in, put in prison for the gospel. Not because somebody didn't like his Facebook post, but like he's preached the gospel. They put him in prison and he's excited because now he's got a captive audience. And he's actually going to use this as a platform to make much more of Christ. It's like in his affliction, he can tell so many more people about the hope that Jesus Christ gives him than if he had perfect peace. So he says, yes, and I will rejoice. And we've looked at that over the last couple of weeks. So this is where I want to pick up. He says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Y'all, the word there for deliverance, the, the Greek word is also salvation. They chose deliverance here. Because that's how the translators felt moved and felt like that was the appropriate interpretation of that, of that word. But the original Greek word also means salvation. So what does that all mean? It means that we don't quite know what he's hoping for here. He knows this, that either he will be delivered from this situation and he'll be released from prison and they will not indict him. That's one, one possible interpretation. The other is that he's going to die, but he has salvation. He's been delivered from this life. So he's either going to be freed from imprisonment or he's going to be freed from life in the very presence of the Lord. And we don't know. I, I'm not convinced. If you keep reading, you go to verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I don't even know if he knows fully what he means there. He starts talking about death. And he says, if I die, I get all of Christ. That's okay. We're going to look at that next week. But here he's saying that I know I will have salvation. Regardless of what deliverance might mean, 
Paul had hope and joy because either way, he knows that God is moving on his behalf. Okay? We don't know, but he rests in this. There's a, I feel, you know, this, I, this guy's last name just seems unfortunate to me, but I love the quote. The guy's name is Andrew Smelly. Okay? And Smelly is with an I at the end, if you want to put this in your notes. I actually have this as a quote that I have oftentimes kept right next to my computer screen uh, here at Union Christian Academy, um, like in my office, and so, like, I, so that I always see it. And it's in a book of quotes that I keep, and I love it. Andrew Smelly, unfortunate last name, once said, So let come what will come, his will is welcome, and I shall refuse to be offended in my loving Lord. Let me do it one more time. So let come what will come, his will, God's will is welcome, and I shall refuse to be offended in my loving Lord. That should be the position of our hearts, y'all. Like, Lord, your will is welcome in my life, and I will not be offended by what you, my loving Lord, do with me. Do you know what deep-seated faith you got to have there? Like Job, who said, though he slays me, Still, I will praise him. Job, who was a righteous man in his day and who loses absolutely everything in his life and is stripped down to nothing. And Job, who even says that my skin turns black and flakes off and everybody hates me, that I used to stand in the courts and I would give great judgment and I would care for the widows. And Lord, I had wealth and a wonderful family and I would execute justice for you. Like that Job, who did everything well and right, becomes afflicted. And in his affliction, he says, yet I know that I will see my Lord, my Redeemer lives, and He at last will stand on the earth. Like that's a faith, y'all, that I'm gonna tell you when the fire hits, I want to have. Like I hope that I have that within me. Have you ever seen anyone suffer well? Like they show a deep-seated faith that just encourages so many people. That's what Paul has. That's why Paul can say. Look, because this is all going on, I rejoice because I'm going to be delivered. They're either going to let me out of prison or I'm going to die. And either way, God's sovereign. Y'all, the position of our heart should be that. That the Lord is welcome to do with us as he pleases. It's how we respond with what he does in our lives. That's on us. So God is either the all-ruling king. Listen to this. He is either the all-ruling king or he is not all-ruling at all. Where are you with that? He's either the all-ruling king over all things, or he's not the all-ruling king. And it's been in this very assuredness that Paul is able to rejoice. Y'all flip with me. Hold your place in Philippians. Go to Isaiah. I just want to remind us of what God's sovereignty means and where we get it. Um, I'm just going to take you to, to, two verse, or to two passages. Because we need to understand God's sovereignty. And I know that as I'm doing this, in your, like, you're physically going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I'm with you. And in your heart, you're like, yes, we know this. This is wonderful to be reminded of it. But then we're going to look at two other aspects that fall into his sovereignty in verse 19. Go to Isaiah chapter 46. Isaiah chapter 46, verses 8 through 11. God's word, God speaking, he says, remember this, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. 
Remember the former things of old. Now listen to this. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning from, and from ancient times things not yet done. Saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east and the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. And we can go to so many other passages. And we, we, we really just rest in that. But there are some really, I mean, just, just to couch it again. Verse 9. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God. There is none like me. Declaring the end from the very beginning. And from ancient times things not yet done. Saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all of my purpose. You know what that tells us? He doesn't need our permission. He doesn't need our allowance. He establishes it is done. The mystery of it is beyond us. And we need to quit trying to write books that encapsulate it. We should just stand in awe and wonder and praise. I do not understand the mysteries and the workings of God. And we weren't meant to. But I do know this. Verse 11. It says, calling a bird to pray from the east. men of my counsel from a far country. He says, I have spoken. God has spoken. I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. That's where Paul rests. That the God who knows the end from the beginning, he will do what he has set to do. Take a look at Romans 8.28. I know we hovered around it last, last week. I want to come back to it. And then we're actually going to see how it's seated in a position that's so much bigger than a coffee mug. Like, right? Last week we saw how it actually showed us a sureness of our salvation despite all that comes towards us. Maybe that was a week before. And then we're going to see that, that it actually comes at the end of a really long passage on the ministry of the Holy Spirit on our behalf. Like, 28 is a powerful verse whenever properly understood. Romans 8 28, which Paul wrote, the same Paul who wrote Philippians is the same Paul who wrote Romans 8 28. And he says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. That's why Paul rejoices. That's why Paul is sitting there saying, I know that everything is going to be fine. Paul truly believed the words that he wrote. He lived them out. And, and he shared that. But throughout the ages, God has shown himself absolutely faithful to himself, to his word, and to his people. And so Paul truly believes that whether in life or and being freed from prison or whether in death and being freed from life, he really does believe that all things are working for the good for those who are called according to God's purpose. Okay, so the question just simply becomes... Do we believe that? Like before we move into the other two aspects, like do you truly believe that God is always working to accomplish his purpose? Do you truly believe that it is for your good and that he will fulfill all that he has started in you? It's a yes or no question. Maybe doesn't fit. All right? Maybe doesn't work. How we respond to yes or no. So do you truly believe? Okay, don't worry. It's, it's a rhetorical question. 
Right? I know we're a small church, but I'm not going to go around and start calling names and pointing. But you have, to, you have to be seated in this. Do you truly believe that all that God does is ultimately for your, in your life is ultimately for your good? Or do you not? And if you are sitting there going, but maybe fits better, I love the honesty of the centurion in the Gospels. He said, I believe, help my unbelief. That's where I get seated. I absolutely believe that. I, I do. I really do. But gum, like, I mean, seriously, the days come and the moments come whenever you're like, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. So the, the centurion, the guard said to, to Jesus, he said, I believe, help my unbelief. That's probably where we fall the most. And you know what? I think it's the most honest, genuine prayer that I see in the New Testament um, most of the time. So. Okay, so let me answer this for you. Do I think that God will work sovereignly in your lives for your good? Absolutely, I do. That's easy for me to say it about you. I'm not going through it, right? Absolutely, I do. But that doesn't mean that there's not going to be dark and hard moments. You will suffer pain. You will suffer loss. You will suffer stress and hardship. Relationships will be broken. Your health will fail. Absolutely, it will. And you know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to come alongside and say, don't worry, it's going to be okay. Keep your chin up, bucko. Right? Job's friends had great theology, but they didn't know how to counsel and walk alongside others in their grief and pain. Good theology, wrongly applied, doesn't do any good. You're going to have dark and hard moments. We, we don't just go along and act like everything is just all oh, so wonderful and light. In fact, if I'm walking alongside you and there's pain and suffering... I'm not going to just brush it off. I'm, I'm going to say I'm sorry. We live in a fallen world. Your pain and your, your worry is legit and valid. Where I take hope is that it's never wasted. That's what God's sovereignty means, is that the tears are always known. Your cries are always heard. The dark moments will ultimately work a good in your life that you can't see right now. But I will walk with you through that, and so will we, like one another. That's what it means to do life together. God's sovereignty doesn't mean that you won't feel hurt and sadness. It just means that we live in a fallen world. It means that though we live in a fallen world, God will redeem it in your life. Like things will ultimately turn out for your good. So God's sovereignty means assurance that all things do work together for your good. It just doesn't mean that they'll all be smooth. Paul is in prison. The apostles died. Great persecution will come. Your health will fail. Like all of these are true in life. To be God's child just simply means you never go through it alone. He's always with you. God's all-ruling kingship means that absolutely everything will serve the ultimate purpose of bringing about better good in your life. We just tend to look at this life alone. C.S. Lewis says that they were way too short-sighted. They were far too easily satisfied. We're sitting here making mud pies in this world like kids out in the front yard. We're making mud pies and having so much fun here. And we forget that there's a banqueting feast on the inside waiting for us. And he uses that to say that in this life, we keep trying to look for all the pleasure and all the satisfaction and all the good here. And these are just mud pies because you and I have no idea all the riches and the goodness that he has planned for us in eternity. Everything here is but a mud pie compared to the banqueting feast with Christ. 
it all will work for your good. But it may mean that my life here is cut short by an illness or some other thing that nobody else can comprehend. And yet the ultimate good is that I'm in the very presence of God so much quicker than everybody else. I will be delighting. We are far too easily satisfied with this life. Because God is sovereign, no tears wasted or unseen. I want you to hear that very clearly. It's not what Paul ever meant. It means that no hard moment is without purpose. God sees it all. He cares about it all. He uses it all. No suffering or hurt is beyond his redemptive scope. So although you believe in the sovereignty of God, even though we preach the sovereignty of God, then it's good and right Christians to walk alongside others and say, I'm really sorry. How can we walk through this together? You know that it will turn out for good because God is good. But what they need to hear is compassion in that moment. I think the framing principle for us, here we go, is not, because he does everything according to his will, the framing principle is not how does his will make us feel, but what does his will accomplish in and through us? Those are two totally different questions. His will is not that we're smiling all day long and whistling like everything's fine. His will is to accomplish in and through us this other thing. And it's this. I, me, I could, be, I could be wrong here, but I believe that God's will in our lives, as I've studied scripture, I believe that God's will in our life is not necessarily that you are happy and prosperous, though he does that. I don't think it's that we are happy and prosperous, but that we are conformed to the image of his son, to the praise and glory of God. Amen. That is God's desire for your life that you are conformed into the image of his son to the praise and the glory of God. He does all things in your life to that end, that you are conformed to the image of his son. This actually brings into account all the tears and all the heartache and all the pain and all the mysteries. Why? Because Jesus, our great high priest, and with whom we are co-heirs like for all of eternity, that same Jesus, he rejoiced. He had hard moments. He wept, he experienced pain, he experienced death, he experienced slander and ridicule. He was weary. His compassion was such that it would literally wrench his guts whenever he saw the crowds. Like that's what it meant. Like whenever it said he had compassion on the crowds. So we serve a God who knows what it means to suffer. And he uses that in our lives to, to conform us to the image of his son. And yet Jesus always had hope in God that this moment would pass to the praise and the glory of God. So his will in your life, I'm, I'm convinced throughout scripture, is not that you are happy and prosperous, though he may very well do that. Like, I mean, if he wants to give me wealth, God, you do whatever you want. Like if he wants us to be prosperous, fantastic. Perfect health, amazing. I'm ready for it but we know what life looks like, right? I know that whatever, whatever befalls me, God is still sovereign. Okay. One more encouragement there. We are not greater than the master. If Jesus suffered, so will we. If he questioned that God's will, do y'all realize what he was asking? Whenever he's sitting there praying right before the, the crucifixion, he knows all things about to happen. He says, Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. He was saying, if it's your will, I don't want to do this. God, like I'm, if you, God, the Father, want to like remove me from this situation so that I do not have to endure that, I'm ready. And then he says, but your will, not my own. So there's even that moment in the sun, and yet he's faithful. 
So we are not greater than the master, but I love this, but the master does not forget his own. You're never alone. Okay, so I want to spend a lot of time there to couch these next two things because I think that they become even more powerful. All right, so I, had, I want to spend time in the sovereignty of God so that hopefully your hearts are resonating with me and, and with scripture and the truth that we see there so that we understand why Paul can say, I rejoice even though I'm in prison. Okay, so here's this. Go back to verse 19, and this will be the second thing I want us to look at. In Philippians 1.19, he says, Yes, I will rejoice, for I know. That's, and he says, I know this will turn out for my deliverance. He says, I know that, number one, through your prayers, and number two, the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. God's sovereignty does not negate the prayers of his people or the working of the Holy Spirit. So we looked at God's sovereignty. I want you to look now at the intercession of the saints. Okay, so intercession, it's a word we don't really use. Like, I don't know if I ever see you in Walmart and we're walking down the aisle and you're like, man, I just need like those gummy bears right over there. I don't think I'm going to say, let me intercede for you in this moment and go get them. Nobody uses the word intercede or intercession. It's a wonderful word whenever we're talking scripturally. And you hear it in church quite a bit, but sometimes we say church words and we don't really know what they mean. Okay. So what does it mean to intercede for someone? Literally means to intervene, or I use the phrase to stand in the gap for. So if, if I were like here in this moment and someone comes around that corner like, hey, Ricky, can we talk to you real quick? And, and Matt stands up and goes over to talk. He just interceded for me. He just intervened for me. Like he, he stood in that gap for me. He went to see what they really need, right? Um, if someone were, were out in the community and they were bad-mouthing me and, and Mike heard it and Mike chose to stand in a defense for me, he's intervening or intervening or, or interceding for me. So intercede literally just means to be that in-between for someone. You and I are called to intercede for one another, especially in prayer. That's what Paul says. Look at verse 19 so incredibly closely. For I know that through your prayers, through your intercession and the help of the Holy Spirit, this will turn out for my deliverance. He already believes in God's sovereignty. But God's sovereignty includes people praying for one another and the work of the Holy Spirit within us. A lot of that's on God, but one thing's on us. We should be praying for one another. You and I praying for one another is God's sovereign design of his mysterious workings. We don't know, again, how God works, why he works, in what manner he's going to work, and what the ultimate end finally is in this life. We know the ultimate end is that we're with him. But we do know that praying for one another is part of God's sovereign design for you and me. Y'all, churches should be praying. Members should be reaching out to other members. You and I should be praying for one another constantly. It's part of God's sovereign design for us. Paul's confident in the Lord because he knows that the Philippians that he called the saints in verse 1, he knows that they're praying for him, so therefore he believes even more so in God's sovereignty. Like, I know that hard days are going to come. I can be hopeful, though, and I can rejoice because I know that while God is sovereign, I'm not going to be doing it alone because there are others who are praying for me. It's part of the camaraderie of the saints. It's what we've been called to. In other words, if you need just like a basic note, Paul knows he's not alone. He knows that God will sovereignly do all that he's going to do, and that includes others who will not let him stand alone. So Grass says, our prayers for, for one another, they are part of God sovereignly working out his will in our lives. 
This is why we're going to move prayer time to the end. Okay, so the reason I spent so much time in the sovereignty of God at the very beginning, even though I, I felt like we knew it, and even though we're nodding and our hearts are resonating with it, the reason I spent so much time there is because although God is sovereign, Paul knows he needs the prayers of others. It's just how God somehow mysteriously works all things out. But there is a dangerous, hear me, there's a very dangerous, very unbiblical understanding of God's sovereignty that says, well, if God is sovereign, then everything's going to be fine. I don't have to pray. I don't have to do. I don't have to care. I don't have to work. I don't have to do missions. Like if God is sovereign, then he's going to do everything anyway. So what does it matter what I do? I've talked to people like this. You surely have too. I've talked to, I know, I know of a church who doesn't do missions because God is sovereign. He's going to save whoever he wants to save anyway. If I don't go, he'll just send somebody else. God is sovereign. That is not a biblical understanding of God's sovereignty at all in any way. There is a dangerous tendency whenever we believe so much in the sovereignty of God, we become very complacent. It's right there near us, y'all. We can sing as much as we want. We can sing as loud as we want. But that complacency is just a moment away. Satan will creep in and say, but God's sovereign. It's okay. You don't know how to pray. Don't worry about it. Others will pray. God's sovereign. He's going to do whatever he wants. He's already purposed from the, the end, from the beginning. It's okay. Like Satan will deceive us in such a way that the sovereignty of God is so attractive that we negate our obedience to him. We can't do that. There's, so I, you get it. You get it. I don't need to, I don't, as, as Jared, the theologian says, we don't need to beat a dead horse and then kick it. And then after it's dead, stare at it a little bit longer and then kick it again. You understand what I'm saying there. You can write that into your notes. Don't kick the dead horse. But I do think that we need to be very careful. Absolutely, God is sovereign. We get to respond to that sovereignty. Don't forget our role. You know, it's actually because we believe in the sovereignty of God in all things that we do pray. That's why we will progressively do more and more missions. It's in our prayers that God's power works and manifests itself to this world. James 5.16 says, in case you're thinking, I don't know if it says anywhere in Scripture, it's just so clear. Pray for one another. Pray for one another. And then it goes on. Um, that, that actually follows, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. And then listen to this. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Two statements for your prayer life, whether it's you're praying for me or you're praying for something else. Just two statements that I've learned in life that I'm very convinced about. We pray about those things which we care most about. Whatever it is you care the most about, that's what you spend your time in prayer on. And then the second thing is we pray about those things which we trust the Lord for and not ourselves. So if I think I can do it, right, if I can take care of it, it's the American way. I don't need God to handle it. I'll deal with it. I don't pray for it. I'm biblical, by the way. Okay? Totally unbiblical. Two things. We pray about those things which we care most about. And number two, we pray about those things for which we trust the Lord and not ourselves. Do I really want to see you grow in Christ? Then I should be praying. 
Do I really hope that the moment of hardship passes for you? Then I should be praying. Do I really pray that you feel blessed today? Then I should be praying. Why? Because I care for you. And then number two, because I can't really do anything about it. I tell people all the time that I pray for two things each day. Wisdom to do what God has called me to do and favor with other people. If God's in control of the favor, it's kind of fun. They can't help but like me or help but hate me. It's all on God. It's not on me. I know who I am. You really probably shouldn't like me that much. But if you do like me, it's because you've kind of been kidnapped by God by answering my prayer, right? So it's wonderful. That's why Chas can't help but be married to me and love it. She has been supernaturally kidnapped because I asked for favor. I know. I know. Lord, I'm sorry for that. But he knows my, he knows my humor in that. Y'all, here's why you and I have to pray for each other. Those two statements, we care, we pray for those things which we care most about, and we pray for those things for which we trust the Lord and not ourselves. Therefore, we pray for one another because we care most about one another, and we pray because we trust the Lord with one another more than we trust ourselves. Does that make sense? And because he's sovereign, we know that he's going to do with it what he wills. Our prayers are recognizing in our own selves that we trust a God who is mightier than we are. Okay, so I have been tempted. I'm I'm spending some time here because I've been tempted to think this. Well, what can my prayer really do? I don't really know how to pray. Yeah, it's not the words that you speak. It is the position of your heart. I don't know how many times I've started a prayer with Lord. I don't even know how to pray for this, but I'm going to try anyway. You and I must pray for one another. It's part of God's sovereign design. It's a means by which God will show his power and might to us and to his people. You ever seen God answer a prayer and it just emboldens your faith anymore? That's why he calls us alongside him. But make no doubt, your eloquence, however you pray, whatever words you use, that's not what unlocks the power of God. But there are books of here's how you unlock the power of God in prayer. Here's the formula to pray so that you can experience God's blessing. It has nothing to do with your words and my words. It has everything to do with the position of our hearts. We are humble before a Lord that is so much greater than we are. And we're saying you fix it because we don't know what to do with this in this moment. Like that's what we should be doing. The psalmist says, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. And cross life, hear this. It pleases our Lord in the heavens to hear the hearts of his people. He orchestrates all the cosmos. And he says, and I will listen to you because you're mine. Like that floors me. I don't get that. All right. So just practical things. Chas was like, will you please, as you talk about this, give some very practical advice. Um, because I don't always do the practical. So I've got a few things for you um, because we all need to grow in prayer and you've got your own methods and you should ask each other, how do you keep prayers organized? I'm just saying, these are the ones that I use that I tell other people and it seems to always work. Number one, when someone tells you to pray, write it down immediately and you have to keep it in a visible spot. Like if you ask me to pray and I know what my day's like, it's gonna have to stay in a visible spot. You know why? Because Satan wants to make sure that you don't pray. He's going to busy your thoughts. He's going to corrupt your theology. And he's going to get you busy so that you can't think of anything else. And all of a sudden, oh my goodness, I forgot to pray about that. So that's on us. So I, just, I write it down immediately. Number two, that you, I don't keep journals. Like I've tried. I'm like, that's a really cool thing. And I admire you journal keepers. 
I start a journal and then two years later I find it after I'd like done three entries and you know and then I'm like well that's I can't let there be a two-year gap so I tear out those pages and I throw them away and I start again <laughs> so I have some empty notebooks with nothing in them but I keep a journal or there's prayer apps uh, echo the prayer app um, you can set up prayer requests in there you can set up prayer groups you can even do this for the whole church and we did this like in our in like some of our early days but there can be like an echo prayer group for cross life where you can add prayer prayers to it and then everybody in the church sees those prayers and you know how to pray and it'll remind you hey make sure you pray today you can say on monday i'm praying for for the mckinley's on tuesday i'm praying for the bairds on wednesdays i'm praying for the richmond's and echo will keep it in front of you and you can put in specific prayer requests like so but you need a way to keep it organized if you're not organized okay you probably do need to set a reminder later in the day or put a post-it note, very visible, like right there on your computer screen. But this is the one I love the most, and it messes people up. Just gonna tell you, but it's fun, okay? Whenever they say, will you pray for me? You say, yeah, let's do it. Like right then, in that moment. Because you know what we're all guilty of? Praying. And then we go do something else, and then later we're like, oh crud, I forgot to pray, so now I'm a liar, so now I have to go repent before the Lord, so I need to pray for myself, and then I'll pray for them. But we say we're praying or we say, I will pray, and then we don't get to it. So I found, because I know me, that if, if Philip says, hey, pray for me, be like, cool, let's do it. And you'd be surprised how many people are like, oh, like now. Okay, okay, let's do it. You know what? It's always a really sweet moment, and it takes like 10 seconds. And it means something to them, and they know that you really did it, and you're trusting the Lord in that moment to take care of it. So... Those other ones, make a note, set a reminder, use an app or something like that. Those are good. But the most effective one I've found in my life and in the lives of others is to just pray immediately. You can even start with this because Chess tells me sometimes, she's like, I, like, you're good. You pray well. Like, I don't want to pray after you pray. I'm like, well, that makes me feel bad, right? I don't know how I'm praying. I'm just being honest with the Lord. I'm just talking to the God who hears me. But you know what I mean? Like there are people, they pray really well. And you're like, well, if we're in a prayer circle, I'm standing on this side of them because I'm not praying after them. You know, as long as the position of their heart is here and the position of your heart is here, as I said, you're both humble before the Lord. He doesn't hear one prayer with more effectiveness than the other prayer. He hears them both in honor. To pray for one another is a humble act. It's an honorable act. And I can't tell you how many times I've started my prayers with, Lord, I don't even know how to pray. But I know that you know what's going on, and I'm just saying I trust you with it. Amen. If that prayer is honest and it's humble, he hears it. All right, so Paul's confidence in the Lord is, is that he is firmly rooted in God's sovereignty, which includes the prayers of the saints. How do those work in with the sovereignty of God? That's him, right? But if we believe he's sovereign, then we should be praying. His sovereignty is what gives power to our prayers. Okay, then this last part, the intercession of the Spirit. Because here's what he says in verse 19. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers, Philippians, and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. I know I will be delivered because God is sovereign, because you're praying, and because the Holy Spirit's working. Okay? I spent the most time on those first two. Now I just want you to, like, go to Romans chapter 8. What is he talking about with the work of the Spirit on his behalf? Romans chapter 8 is that chapter that we 
And we've looked at it over the last couple of weeks to say, hey, they're, they're, they're really taking these things out of context. I think that these are the things that matter. But Romans chapter 8, that's a chapter you begin, and it just keeps swelling and swelling and swelling, and it gets bigger and bigger. Everybody camps at the end, which is wonderful that neither death nor sickness nor famine nor hunger will ever separate us from the love of Christ. Absolutely. But that's like experiencing the end of the roller coaster without the beginning of the roller coaster. Like there's a lot of great stuff at the beginning of Romans chapter 8. And because most people don't know it, we're going to look at it. Okay, there's some awesome stuff here that gives us great peace and that helps us understand what Paul means. Romans chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 14. Romans 8, 14. And then we're going to pray for one another. But don't worry, there's a lot in Romans 8. Just don't want you to get your hopes up. God's sovereign. Okay, for all, it says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So this really clarifies that when we profess to be Christians, the Holy Spirit is within us and is working within us. Okay, so he's not just there. He didn't just like take up a habitat with us, but he's working within us. And with that, too, we see that we are fully adopted by our holy God. You just need to know that you get to cry out, Abba, Father, and he hears you. This is the amazing work of the gospel that we who were dead and lost and enemies have now become children of God. We are now fellow heirs with Christ. All that is Christ, you don't have to like understand this. We will realize it. All that is Christ will be ours. That's cool. I don't even know what all he has, but that's cool. Like we get to reign with Christ for all of eternity and understand that there are riches which we have never known. And Christ in his love has said, this is all for you and with you. And then he goes on. You are precious. Um, I'm just clarifying. You're precious in the sight of the Lord because you are his child. You have deep eternal value to a God who orchestrates the heavens. Now go down to Romans 8, 26. So you understand all those things. Now listen to this. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. See how Romans 8 actually stitches like such great truths at the beginning of Romans 8 with such great truths at the end of Romans 8, it's much bigger than that coffee mug. It's much bigger than the t-shirt or the poster. Romans 8 really shows us how God is always working within us and for us, ultimately for him. Like you read all of Romans 8 and it just keeps swelling that all the work that needs to be done, he started, he sustains, he completes it from beginning to end. You're never separated. And that includes... The Spirit working within us in our weakness. So, so do verse 26. Let's walk through this. I want to make sure you understand it. Likewise, the Spirit is with us and He helps us in our weakness. In the gospel, and I'm just kind of, I'm going to read a few words and break it down for you. In the gospel, Jesus said that it was better for Him, Jesus, to leave so that He could send the helper. 
The helper in the Gospels is what we now know as the Holy Spirit. It's the other one who is just like him. If you go back to that original language. So here's the helper. So Romans says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Why? Because that's his ministry. Whenever Jesus went to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was there waiting so that the Holy Spirit could come within us. And why do we need the Holy Spirit? Because we're weak. All of your insecurities, all your frailties, uh, frailties, all your weakness, everything that you know as a negative against yourself and that would limit you is probably absolutely 100% true. I'm not a good motivational speaker. You are not equipped to do everything that you want to do in this life. But the spirit within you equips you to do all that Christ has given you to do. He takes your weaknesses. He works through them so that you marvel at the strength that he has given you and so that others see the strength of Christ and not you. We know what we bring to the table. We also know that there's a spirit who brings so much more. He goes on. For we do not know what to pray as we ought. Praise the Lord that Paul wrote it. It says in scripture, we don't know how to pray the right way. This is why I never cease to pray. Because it's already clarified. I don't really know how to pray. But I love this. But the spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. This is, this is why I don't hesitate to pray. Because while I'm praying, the Spirit's within me praying in a way that I don't even know how to pray. That He prays with words that are too deep for understanding. He's groaning within me. Okay, it keeps getting better. The Spirit knows how to pray. He does it constantly on our behalf. And then it says, And He who searches the hearts, you know who that is? God the Father. Okay, so, so the Spirit's within me, searching, or I'm, I'm sorry, praying for me. And then he who searches the heart, that's God the Father, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that's within me, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. There's great comfort that the Spirit that is within me is praying to the God who knows all things, and they're praying and they're interceding one to another. Now you've got to see this. Go to Romans 8.34. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is praying within us. God the Father who's on the throne knows the heart of the Spirit, is hearing it. And then Romans 8.34 Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised. Look at this, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. You know who is interceding for you whenever prayer is going on? All of the counsel of the mysterious triune God. That's amazing. The spirit that God gave you is within you, interceding for you with groanings too deep for understanding. The son is on the throne, seated at the right hand of God, interceding for you. And God, the father who knows all things is listening to the spirit that's within us. All aspects of God in the mystery of the Trinity that we do not understand is interceding on your behalf. Therefore, in the hard moments of life, you can rejoice, but we cannot cease to pray. So Romans 1, I'm sorry, Philippians 1, go back to... To verse 19, and then we're done. Philippians 1.19. Paul says, yes, and I will rejoice. For through your prayers and the help of the Spirit, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul is confident in the sovereignty of God because the saints are praying and the Spirit is faithful. The mystery of the sovereignty of God is that his magnificent power works through the intercession of his saints' power, pa- prayers. I'm sorry. So the intercession of the Son, that's on God. The intercession of the Spirit, that's on God. The intercession of the saints, that's on us. So may we be found diligent. So now I'm going to simply ask you, who should you be praying for? And I can't answer that one for you. 
I can say, would you please pray for me? I need it. I can say, pray for my family. But who has God put on your heart that you know you need to be praying for? And as you pray, know this, that the spirit is within you perfecting your prayer to God on the throne who knows the heart of the spirit and the son is interceding on your behalf as you pray. And there's powerful working in trusting the sovereignty of God that he hears the prayers of his people. So who should you be praying for? Here's how we're going to do today. We normally have that prayer time before. We're going to, Mike's going to come up and strum for about two to three minutes, right? Because we don't know how to pray, right? We don't know. Plus there's scripture. You're God in heaven. I'm here on earth. I'll let my words be few. So you can have hope in that, but, but two to three minutes and then we will sing our final song and then we will go. But I would find ways to make sure that you're praying for the saints because you trust God's sovereignty. Lord God, as we enter this time of prayer, I pray that you do put it on our hearts who we should pray for and how we should pray. And then Lord, teach us to trust you. We believe. Help our unbelief. Lord, give us humble hearts that see you as the God who answers prayers. We don't have to do this on our own. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Amen.